Hey, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine Church in Riverdale. Uh, hey, we're into this series, um, the last week in the series called Prodigal, and we've been looking at the story in Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15 uh, is the story, a famous story of the prodigal son. And what that's all about is, is that if you weren't here for the last three weeks, you should go catch up on it. Uh, go to pursuegod.org uh, forward slash prodigal. But really quick, just to recap, the prodigal son was a son who went to his father. His father was a wealthy man. And he says, Father, I can't wait for you to die. I just want you to give me my inheritance now. I want to go live however I want to live. I want to be out from under you and go do what I want to do, all right? And so he goes, and he, he, the father gives the inheritance to the son early, and he goes and he squanders it. He, he spends it all in, in wild parties and living and in sin, and eventually he's lost it all, and he finds himself at the lowest of low, at rock bottom, and he has no more money left, and he has no food, and he starts to work as a servant at a pig farm, and he looks at the, what the pigs are eating, and he's like, man, I am hungry. I think I want to eat some of their food. And so he says, man, what am I thinking? And at that moment, he comes to his senses. He says, why have I left my father? Why have I wandered away? Life was good. He's, he's got everything I could possibly need. And he comes to his senses, and he goes back to the father, and he says, I've sinned against you. And he repents, and, and the father accepts him and, and, and throws a party. He kills the, the fatted calf and, and he throws a robe on him and he just lavishly just loves him extravagantly, all right? And that's the story of the prodigal son. There was also the older brother at that moment in time. He was angry. The older brother was angry because the older brother, he's like, hey, dad, I have never left you. I've done everything that you've commanded. Basically, I've never done anything wrong. You've never, why are you why are you accepting him back so freely? And you haven't done anything for me, right? And so he's kind of sour at the whole thing. That's the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Now we have a, a definition for what prodigal meant, and it means to be wastefully extravagant, right? And so that does apply to the son. He was wastefully extravagant. But on, on the other hand, the, it also means to be lavish. And the father was... Uh, lavishly extending grace to the son. And so the father too, you could say, some people have written a book saying the prodigal God or the prodigal brother. All people in the story, in a sense, if you used all the definitions of the word, were prodigal. So that is the recap of what we've talked about. And we've looked at the father, we've looked at the son, we've looked at the older brother. Now today we're going to get a little bit more practical as we end this series, we're going to take a look at how to love a prodigal, right? How are we supposed to, maybe, maybe you in your life, you can think of someone in your life right now, or maybe it was in the past, or maybe you're scared of it happening in the future, one of your, one of your ch child, one of your children in your home, or maybe it's a brother, a family member, uh, a spouse, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, someone who has been like the prodigal son, who have squandered everything, who've wandered off into sin, who have struggled with guilt and shame, and they're still lost. 
They haven't come back. They haven't come back to the faith. Maybe it's a, someone who used to claim to be a Christian but has, has wandered away and they're not living that way anymore. They're, they don't even know what they believe about God. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe it was you. In my own life, that was me. First and foremost, the first prodigal I think of in my own life is me. I was one that wandered away from God in my teenage and early 20 year, 20s, and so for me, this, this message really hits home. A lot of these points uh, today are right from my heart, um, firsthand knowledge of how I was loved um, at my own household, how I felt loved by God himself, and how I came back to God. But I also have a chance to be able to work with a lot of people. As a pastor, I do a lot of mar- marriage counseling. Uh, I, I lead a, an addiction recovery group, and I get to work with a lot of people who are almost at the extremes of this prodigal uh, mentality. And so today, I want to give you five practical points for each one of you to be able to learn from this story, and we're not going to go back and look over at the story again. We'll reference it from time to time, but I feel like God gave me a lot of different verses in all my experiences to be able to explain what the Bible says on how we ought to love a lost person or someone who's wandered away or someone who's sinned against us and hurt us, right? And so maybe your, your, your ears are perked up right now because you're interested, right? Maybe you have someone in your life like that. And I want to say, you've tried to speak truth. You felt like, uh, you felt like you've, you've said your peace to this person. You felt like you've said, okay, enough's enough, and I'm going to tell them how I feel, and I'm going to tell them what the Bible says, and I'm going I'm to tell them what they're doing is wrong. And you've tried that. You've spoken truth, but they're still lost. And so... Today I want to give us a different approach, maybe, than, maybe than what you've already been trying. Maybe it's time to evaluate um, how we're supposed to love a lost person in our lives. So I want to get right into that. And so, five points about how to love a prodigal. My first is this. In order to love a prodigal, you've got to be honest about your own sin, about your own brokenness. Think of the older brother in the story. He didn't think he had anything wrong with him. And so therefore he was the legalist. He was the one who, who had the pride. He, he thought that he had earned his way into the father's love and that the father therefore should have favored him. Are you that person in this story? Maybe, maybe you've been that way before. I know that I've been that way before. In my own life I've I've looked at people that maybe are less mature than me or less far uh, in, their, in their Christian walk than I am, and I, I've struggled with, hey, what are you doing? You call yourself a Christian, but you're living in sin, and you're doing all these things, and you support all this stuff that the Bible's against. Like, and I've been, I've been angry about that sometimes, you know, and I have to check myself. God convicts me of that, and so for us, we've, we've got to get real. Like, do we really think that we're without sin and we were never a prodigal ourselves? The reality is the Bible tells us that we were all lost and God came and forgave us. He found us and he cleaned us up and he set us back on the right path. If we're not honest about our sin and our brokenness, um, how can we help someone else? And Jesus speaks to that in Luke chapter 6, earlier in, in the book of Luke. He says, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? 
How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, this is a very famous uh, quote from Jesus. A lot of people have used it, used it out of context. But really, what he is saying is, is, get rid of your pride because your pride blinds you. you. You start to evaluate how everybody else is living out there in the world. But you're not even looking at yourself. So what makes you think you can judge accurately? How can you help someone clearly without first being honest about your own sin and your own brokenness? You know, one of the great things uh, that I consider a gift in my life, um, uh, I've, I struggled with addiction in the past. I, like I said, I was a prodigal son, and I, I went to lows, and I've hit rock bottom. And people will ask me, do you regret it? And, and that's, a tough que- that's a tough question for me to answer because, you know, yeah, I, I hate that I've sinned. You know, I hate, and I look back at all that stuff that I did, and Man, I don't want to put Jesus on the cross. You know, I didn't want to do all those things that uh, made him have to die. But on the other hand, I believe that God is sovereign. And and through all my choices, he led me through all kinds of things to be able to help other people. To be able to, you know, stand here not like the older brother, but like a former prodigal and say, Hey, I I, I know how you feel. Because I've been there before. I know how your, your loved one feels. I know how to help them, in a sense, because I feel like God brought me through a lot of things. And, and so when I'm working with people who are, uh, they themselves are sh- struggling with sin, I, I usually to uh, help them warm up a little bit, to open up as I share something about myself. And I say, look, there is nothing that you can say right now that is going to shock me. I am a chief, the chief of sinners. I've done a lot of sin in my life, and, and so I want you to feel comfortable knowing that there isn't a person in this church, in this room, that doesn't have some kind of secret sin that they're not telling anybody, or doesn't have just a, a, ma- a major past of where they fell to their knees and needed to call out to Jesus. And so I'll share my past with people. And I'll talk to them about my former struggles, and that will cause them to, to open up, and they'll say, wow, this guy really understands because he's, he's been through it before. He's not sitting there judging me, right? And this is how we've got to be able to be with the prodigals in our own life, with the lost people in our own life. We've got to be real about who we are, that we needed Jesus too. Colossians 3.13 says this, Paul says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. That's a principle as Christians that we live by. That we've been forgiven, don't forget that point, so we must forgive. That's not, but, oh, but you don't know what they've done, right? No, it's not saying, you know, in parentheses, except for when they do this, 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 and this. It says, forgive anyone who offends you. As a matter of fact, you need to make a little budget. When you're setting out your budget for your finances, you know, you you put in there like, okay, I'm going to spend this much money on entertainment, I'm going to spend this much money on the mortgage, I'm going to spend this much money on, on gas and food and groceries, right? You, uh, hopefully you write out a budget. If you don't, uh, we've got a, a Financial Peace University class coming up April 12th. You can join that, see, see them out in the lobby. But, 
But you know, this is what it's saying, is make a budget, make an allowance for people in your life to offend you and sin against you. Because that is humanity, and they're going to do it. And so for Christians, we've got to come to this place where we learn to accept that we're going to be hurt, sinned against, that the people we love are going to wander away, and it's going to bother us. And we've got to make an allowance for that to happen. And remember um, to grow in humility because we have to be forgiven first. And so... And that kind of leads to my second point is that then the person who is the stronger one, the believer, is called to absorb the offense. That's really what forgiveness means is to, to give before, to, to make sure that you're giving grace um, before it actually even happens. You are forgiving someone. You're letting it go. You've got to absorb whatever pain that happens to you. Here's what Romans 15, 1 through 2 says. It says, we who are strong, we who think that we're the mature believers, we who aren't sinning that bad anymore, um, maybe it's little things, but the, the, the prodigal in our life is doing the big things. We who think so highly of ourselves have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. This is so others-focused. And forgiving is so others-focused. When Jesus was on the cross, he looked at the people that were killing him and said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so as Christians, we're supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ, be like Christ. We're, we're called to bear with the failings of our weaker brothers and sisters, of the, the, the prodigals in our life. We're called to bear that burden and absorb the pain. There's a book called Love and Respect, and it's about marriage. And uh, it talks about the crazy cycle in there. Um, and and the, what the crazy cycle is, is that the offender in the relationship, and this really applies to all relationships, but the, the offender in the relationship, the prodigal in the relationship, for whatever reason, underlying issues, things that's happened to their past, pain that they haven't got rid of, they're acting out, right? They're, they're using, they're cheating, they're lying, they're, they're wandering, they're running away, they're lost, and, and for whatever reason, they're acting out like that. And so what happens is the people that love the prodigal, the person that's close to the prodigal, they get offended by their acting out, and they get hurt. And so when, when, when the, the person who loves the prodigal gets hurt, they make sure to let the prodigal know, you've hurt me. Why are you doing this? You're a bad person. You're supposed to be better. And it's constant shame and guilt and condemnation. And you know what the person does? When you treat them like that, they go even deeper into their lost and wandering lifestyle. They go deeper into self-medication because they're feeling guilty and they're feeling ashamed and they're feeling like they're, they're, there's no way that they can be forgiven or loved. And this is what they naturally do. They want to numb the pain and so they continue on with their acting out. And this person continues on with the blaming. And it's this cycle that happens all over and over and over again. And, and they're just both reacting to each other. That's the crazy cycle. Somebody's got to break that cycle. 
Somebody's got to step in and say, I am willing to put aside my feelings, put aside my thoughts, my wants, my justice, my fairness, and absorb the offense. Somebody's got to say, I am willing to let this go. I am willing to provide an atmosphere and an environment where you can flourish. And first and foremost, then what has to happen is, is grace and forgiveness and not holding the offense against the other person. You see, this is what God did to, for us, and this is why we come to him so freely as Christians. We know that he loves us. We know we can go back to him at any moment, and he isn't sitting there pointing a finger. He says, when you confess your sins, I forgive them. That's the promise. I died on, died on the cross for your sins, past, present, and future. And so we go to the foot of the cross as Christians with this security knowing that, no, he's not going to shame me and guilt me. He is going to accept me back, just like the story of the prodigal son where the father accepts the son back when he comes to his senses, when he comes to this place of repentance, right? Galatians 6, 2-3 says, Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. That's my word of encouragement for you today. <laughs> that was, that's God saying that, right? Not me. But he said, this goes back to the pride principle. Right? Pride keeps us from being able to show grace. We think so highly of ourselves, like, no, they've hurt me too many times. I'm better than this, you know? I, I don't have to deal with this. But, but obeying the law of Christ, the law of Christ is forgiveness, the law of Christ is grace. Christians are supposed to obey the law of Christ by loving each other even when they're unlovable. Just like you and me were unlovable and still sometimes are unlovable. And he still just lavishly shows us that love. Like the father in the story of the prodigal son, when the son comes home, he says, I'm going to throw a party. All that stuff that you did, it's gone. I wiped it away. No need to worry about the past anymore. You're my son. You get an inheritance of all that I have. But the amazing thing is, is that the son wanted to go back to the father. The son wanted to go back to the father. And, and so I think it's because the father created such a great environment to want to come back to. Now, for us, in our, in our, in our relationships, right, maybe, maybe it's with a, a child, um, and we're constantly just, just nitpicking and, 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 and judging and critiquing something that they're doing over and over and over again, and they just can't wait to get out of the house, out from under us, right? And then when they go and squander and live, you know, like, like hell out there, are they going to want to come back to our home? Are they going to want to come back to us? You know, that's something that happened in my own, my own family, my own life. Like, they were so patient with me. All the things that I had put my parents through, and not once did they ever kick me out. And every time I had gotten in trouble and I needed to come back, they were there and ready to, to forgive me. And I knew out of all the broken relationships, and them I'd probably hurt the most other than God. They were so gracious to me. I knew that I had a place of security, an environment of forgiveness and grace. And that's the type of an environment that we've got to create for our prodigals in our lives, is 
love and grace and forgiveness. But the question is, but is that enabling them, right? If I continuously let them walk all over me, or if I keep giving them money or allowing them to hurt me, is that enabling them? And that kind of leads to my third point is, in your extravagant grace, don't be an enabler. What does enabling mean? It means to continue to create an environment where they can keep living the crazy lifestyle that they keep living. Now, if we look at the prodigal son story, the father doesn't um, go and, and find the son. The son is living a crazy lifestyle away from the home. The father doesn't go find him and, and join in the pig pen with him and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here to hang out with you and I'm going to give you more money if you need that so that you can keep living the way that you want to live. Um, no, he doesn't do that. The father patiently waits at home knowing that he had created an environment for when they come to this, his, his senses, the son will come back. Galatians 6, 1, uh, the verses I just read 6, 2, or 2 and 3 with you, and the verse before that says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should speak truth, right? You should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. But be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. There's a, there's a struggle with wanting to help other people sometimes is we'll go about it the wrong way. You know, I remember growing up, I had these friends that their parents would say something like, well, um, if, if my kids, my underage kids want to drink, I'm just going to I'm going to buy it for them and let them do it in in the, the safety of our own home. At least at least I you know, I, they'll think I'm cool and I'm not being too judgmental and uh you know, that's probably one of the ways that I was enabled, you know, cuz I would go hang out at that that parent's house. I would go hang out at my friend's house that the parents would allow that type of a thing. Right? That's not the right way to handle a prodigal son or daughter or person in our life is to go enable them to continue doing what they're doing under the safety of our own home. That's not the way to handle it. You should speak truth. If you are a godly person, you should gently and humbly restore or uh, put them back on the right path. You should set boundaries. Like the father said, okay, here's your inheritance. Don't ask me for any more though. Like if you're going to go, go. You're going to have to go learn a hard lesson. And for some people, like me, that are hard-headed, they had to go learn a really hard lesson. And the father was uh, not codependent. He didn't have to follow him around and, and worry about it and, and, and fall into sin himself, into temptation himself, trying to help his son. He said, and the father represents God in this story, and, and the wisdom of the father is that he knows what's going to happen. He knows that the son is eventually going to come to the end of himself and say, I need something or someone to save me. And so I know how hard that sounds for the prodigal in our own lives, but sometimes we're just trying to control everything when really they might need to be out there alone, lost for a little while. And that's really, that's really my fourth point. Stop trying to control every outcome. Jesus says... Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. He says, don't worry. I think 
people who have a chaotic situation at home with, with someone like a prodigal, um, it's, it's so, it's, it's the opposite of peace. It's, you're so anxious, you're so worried. Something could pop off at any single moment. You know, one next wrong decision could mean the family's going to be changed forever. And Jesus is saying, but you have no control over that. Don't worry, right? Don't worry about everything. Again, all, you, all we can really do is, is, is give them over to God. After we've set our peace and we've set our boundaries, all we can do is give them over to God. And we need to realize Again, coming back to this pride principle is we may not be the one to get through to the prodigal in our lives. They might have blocked us out a long time ago because we weren't talking or speaking or handling it the right way. It might be someone else, right? Think about the story of the prodigal son. The father wasn't the one who went to go speak truth to him. It wasn't the brother. Who was there when he came to his senses? It was the pig, right? The pig was there. I'm not saying the pig was talking to him. But what I'm saying is, is you might not be the one to speak truth to the prodigal in your life to get them to turn around. And so we've got to quit trying to control. And you know a person that's controlling, you know why people control things? It's because they, they have fear. They have worry. They're worried that things aren't going to go exactly the way that they want them to go. And so they constrict everything and they control everything instead of allowing God to do his will and his work in a person's life. Do we trust God enough? Philippians 4, 6-7, Paul says something similar to Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I remember um, in the middle of my wandering, you know, I'd, I'd always been involved with Alpine Church since it, since it was in the playhouse. Uh, off and on, you know, I, I had my faith, but I kept w- wanting to live a, another lifestyle. And, and I remember my mom... Um, come into these prayer meetings that I think were actually here at this building on like Thursdays or something, which I'd love to start doing an, another time sometime soon. But she would come to these prayer meetings with, with Brian and with Steve and the other pastors, and, and she would ask for prayer for me. Um, and her faithfulness in doing that over the years, they've reminded me time and time again how much she did that, like asking for prayer for me and Guess what? Prayer works. <laughs> prayer really works. I've seen it in my own life. People have prayed for me. Over this last uh, weekend, or, or a week ago when we had our, our baby, uh, there were a lot of weird little things that kept popping up, complications in the hospital, and I would send out these texts to you know, my overseers and, and leaders and pastors and people like, pray, 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 and all along the way, God was like miraculously lining things up, making things happen, um, everything that we prayed for. It was so amazing. And sometimes we forget how powerful prayer really is. You know, prayer is, is like this other mystical thing that the church does. They tack on a prayer at the end of a service or whatever we do. Um, 
And so sometimes people in a tough situation will say, man, I've tried everything else. All there is left to do is pray. Can't do anything else, right? Like, and that's the wrong mentality. If, if prayer is our last resort, then we really don't trust God and we really trust ourselves more. Our own attitude and our own actions and our own ideas, we trust that more than actually falling to our knees, coming up front, talking to a pastor or leader, and just asking for prayer, humbly saying, I need you to intercede for me because I don't even know what to say, but here's what's going on in my life. And we want to be a church that grows in this area. Maybe you've heard of the serenity prayer. Now, this isn't in the Bible, but a theologian in the 1940s, he wrote this. And he says this, God, grant me the serenity, which means peace, to accept the things I cannot change. What are the things I cannot change? Other persons, places, or things. I can't change anybody else outside of myself. I have no power over anyone else. God, please give me the peace to understand and accept that. The courage to change the things I can, which is me, how I react to everything. My control and my trust. And the wisdom to know the difference between that, right? So that's really the last point is pray. Pray that God would do what only he can do. Because we don't have the power to change people. Only God and his word and his spirit has the power to change people. That is actually the Holy Spirit's role is to convict a person of their sin, right? And so in all of our words and all of our actions, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to do it, and he's going to do it more efficiently. He's going to do it with power. Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit in John. He says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of coming judgment. And maybe the prodigal in your life is or at one point was a believer. And you say, man, God, I, I really don't trust you with this one. I'm going to have to do this myself. Well, that's not what God wants us to do. We've got to trust that this, this encouraging verse that encourages me so much, Philippians 1.6, he says, if, if, and I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. If God had someone or has someone, if he is a lost Person, You know, the whole chapter of Luke 15 talks about the lost sheep, and he leaves the 99 to go find the one because he's the good shepherd. God will do that. We need to trust him in all of our controlling, in all of our fear, and all of our worry of the prodigals in our life. Are, are we telling God we don't trust him with them like we once were? He says, if I began a good work in them, I'm going to bring it to completion. Now, it doesn't always happen in the time frame that we want to happen. A question I always ask myself is, at what point in my life was I saved? I got baptized at 10 years old, but went off in sin for many years. At what point in my life, if I was going to die, would I go to heaven? That was a question on my mind all the time. You know, and I've, I've gone back and forth, and I've studied theology, and I've I've, I've tried to f 
figure out the answer to that question, and I still don't know, but what the Bible wants to encourage me with is this, that if God began a good work in me, that he's going to bring it to completion. So what that might point out in my own life is that he just didn't let me go too far, that, which was pretty far, <laughs> like the prodigal son. But at the right time, the Holy Spirit convicted me through the word of God to, to come to my senses and to come back to God. Last verse. Hebrews 12.2 says something similar. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus is the one who initiates the faith of a person through the Holy Spirit, bringing conviction of sin. He starts the faith and he perfects the faith. And so I just want to encourage you that if you, if you do have a person like that in your life, uh, my life can be living proof to that, that God is going to bring it to completion one day. We don't know how long it's going to take. How long can you wait? How long can you pray? If you have a, uh, a person like that in your life, I believe the rest of the verses handle that Jesus says that he with joy, went to the cross for all the prodigals out there in the world, for all the lost people out there in the world, including us. Jesus said, it is my joy to go and lay down my life and die for them. And so we take his example and we say, with joy will we trust the work that Jesus did on the cross. Yes, speak truth. Be honest about your own brokenness. But give them over to God. Pray for them. Create an environment of grace and love. Stop the crazy cycle and see what happens. Will we trust God with the lost people in our lives? I'm here to say that you can. He will save them if you believe. Let's pray. Father, we just, we just come to you and... and in confession today, just understanding that we're kind of a weak people that don't always trust you. Um, our own lives, we've needed to be forgiven of so many sins. Help us, our eyes to be open to that. And then God, help us to be you to other people. You know, people can't see Jesus out there in the world tangibly, but it was your will that your Christians, your people would be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so with our, with our sons and daughters, with our brothers and sisters, with our wives and husbands, with our neighbors and our coworkers, let us be Jesus to them, realizing that all of our other ideas haven't worked. Let us love like you love. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.